0: This is the Encounter Series. That is the Lord's Prayer, looking at an old prayer in new ways. And today, as you've already heard, it's, it's holy. Hallowed be his name. My, my question is this. How do we hallow the name of God? Um, it's been some years now. It was toward the end of my career as a college president of a college in the Santa Cruz Mountains near Monterey Bay in California. I walked into my office one Monday morning and Student Life had sent down uh, a letter that began this way, to whom it may concern. Now if you lead stuff and you get one of those, you know this is not gonna be good, you can tell. And it went on to say, my name is Joshua Goldberg. And uh, 20 years ago at the age of 15, I came to this community looking for peace. And what I found, was drugs. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go on with the message. I'll come back to that story at the end of these thoughts. What's in a name? Some names sound cool. Some are profound. Some are serious. Some are challenging. See, my name is Richard Bruce Foth. A pretty straightforward name. I kind of like it. Foth is easy to write, all that kind of stuff. But I'm grateful because my, my father's mother's name... She was what they called Volga Deutsch. Anybody know what Volga Deutsch is? Those are Catherine uh, from Germany married Peter, Tsar Peter of Russia. She was Catherine the Great. And, and so they started bringing German folks up to populate the area on the Volga River. So they are Germans born in Russia. And this area, Fort Collins in and Nebraska, and this has been settled a lot by Volga Deutsch. And so her, but her maiden name was Louisa Schiebelhut. Now, if you're a shebel hoot here, uh, I love you. We're good, and if you have money, see me after, because, I, you know, we can get some. But I've always been grateful for both. It's easy to write. It's just how it is. But names are created different ways. If you're from Western Europe, you may have a name that's after a function, like Miller or Carpenter or Goldsmith. If you come from Spanish roots, your, your mother's family name probably will be your last name, will be at the end of your name. If you come from Asian roots, your family name will like be your first name generally. But our names are important to us, how they're spelled, for example. A lot of times somebody will introduce themselves like last week, met a young woman, she said, my name's Sarah. I said, is that Sarah with an H? She said, yes, thank you for asking. Because there are other ways to spell that. Or is it Tracy with an I or a Y? How does that, how does that go? Or we, we really want our names to be pronounced correctly. Like you would think that Foth, F-O-T-H, is pretty straightforward, but you've got one in two chance. I Actually, I think it's two-thirds, one-third of saying Foth. Most of the time I hand my license to somebody or say, they see my name and they say Foth, and I'm thinking, they're thinking Moth. Why aren't they thinking both? Because, you know, the English language is a little messy <laughs> that way, Right? So people think, well, you need an A after the O or an E after the H so we could do the long O. I don't know. But it was interesting. Ruth, my wife, who four years ago this month suffered what what medical personnel called sudden cardiac death up at Estes Park where her heart just stopped. And many of you know that story. It was miraculous that she survived. But she was in a coma for a couple of days and the doctor didn't know whether she would ever wake up. And the grandchildren, I think, just assumed she would. But their main concern was when grandma wakes up, will she remember our names? Our grandson Noah, who's 10, just a few weeks ago, looked at grandma and said, Grandma, I was concerned you wouldn't remember my name. You, you could have woken up and called me Ralph, you know? <laughs> so how, how our names are spelled, how they're pronounced, whether they're remembered. Here's the deal. A name shows belonging and uniqueness. Number one on your bulletin, if you're taking notes. A name shows belonging and uniqueness. My family name, Foth, shows that I belong to a clan. I'm part of a tribe. My first name, my given name, Richard, shows that I'm unique in that clan. I'm somebody within the Foth clan. I can be uniquely identified. Our names identify not what we are. They identify who we are. Your name makes you different than those other 7.5 billion people on the planet your name does that i mean you can't get a driver's license without that name you can't vote without that name you can't buy property without that name you can't get a student loan without that name you can't get a medical prescription without that name they won't give you a social security card without that name and there's a crime that happens every two seconds today, in our country, where somebody steals that name. What what do they call that? (laughs) Identity theft. Your name is your identity. It's who you are. So Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and he throws in the name. Hallowed be your name, most high God. Why? Why? I think, in part, is that when we when we learn to know him that name who he is because we come from him we are created by him we start discovering who we are when we get to know him better we get to know who we are better and why we are and what we're for so the lord's prayer i know we read it out loud last week we probably read it out loud the week before we're going to read it out loud again today it's really the disciples prayer it's the lord teaching his disciples to pray this way let's just let's say it and pray it together our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts As we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So he tells us to hallow God's name. That's sort of, it's not old English, but it's a word we don't use very much anymore. And I say so. So you want us to hallow God's name? Like, which one is that? Because there are dozens, scores of names in Scripture. Some some friends of ours. She's a, a lady from South Africa. She said her parents taught us to pr- taught her to pray this prayer when she was real small. And of course, kids sometimes miss it. They don't they don't know what Hallow is. And her grandpa's name was Harold. And for years she pr- prayed, "Our Father, child in heaven, Harold be your name." That's uh, that's what she <laughs> she prayed, you know. And I think God probably chuckled. I think he he got that, you know. But the, but the point is, in, in Genesis. The very first name of God is a Hebrew word, it's Elohim, it's plural, and it means strength and power. You find that name 2,300 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's the name where God says, let us make man in our image. But the, but the most popular name, if I could use that, or the name that is used the most in the Old Testament in Hebrew, is a name that has um, uh, sort of an interesting derivation. It has these four letters. Y H. B H. And when Germans translated the scriptures, they don't have a Y, so they put a J there, and they said Jehovah, okay? But most likely it would have been Yahweh. But the the truth be told, it's, it's not an acronym for something because Hebrew has no vowels. And so people just had to sort of make it up as they went along, if I can be that bold. But what it is, this is the verb to be. This is, this is I am. And when you, when you look at it, this is the word that's used when Moses, who is 80 years old and he's in the desert. You remember the story? Moses has killed a guy back in Egypt. He was raised in the house of pharaohs leading people. He kills a guy, runs for his life, ends up in the desert, up in the Sinai, if you will. And for the next 40 years, he doesn't lead people. He leads sheep. And he goes out one morning, and here's a bush that is just combusted. It's just burning in the desert. Now, I understand that in very arid places, you can have bushes or weeds that spontaneously combust. But that's not what this is. This is a bush that's burning, and it doesn't burn up. It's not consumed, is what it says. And more than that, it's a talking bush. And so here Moses goes out, stands over there, and he's told to take off his shoes. He's on holy ground. And the voice says, Yahweh says to him, I want you to go. I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt who are enslaved. I want you to go and lead them out. Well, he's got his picture in every post office. In Egypt, he doesn't want to go back there. And so he, he doesn't ask why. What he asks is, who is sending me? And he says, this is what God says to him in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's that Yahweh name. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is my eternal name. This is how I am to be recalled for all generations. What's the name of God we are to hallow? The core name, the I am name, is the name from which everything else emanates. And you can go to the end of this book. You can go to the end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation and read this in Revelation 1:4. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. It's the eternal name of God. It declares God as a source of everything without beginning and I, don't, I can't get my head around no beginning. I, I don't. I, I've got a puny, pea-like brain. I don't understand no beginning. I can sort of get no end But I can't get no beginning, but he is that God. His his name was so holy to the Jewish people that they wouldn't say the name after a while. They stopped using the name because they didn't want to profane it. And we'll get to that in a moment. So instead of saying Yahweh, every time when they were transcribing the text, every time they came to that word, they wouldn't write those letters. They would write Adonai, which means Lord. So they would substitute a name. And when they talked, they would talk about blessing the name but this is this is a god the god who in a polytheistic culture where there are all kinds of gods there's moon gods there's eagle gods there's Joshua tree gods there's desert gods there's all kinds of gods this is not one of those this is the god This is the God who made the desert and the rivers and the Joshua trees and the eagles. He's he's that God. In a polytheistic culture, that name, I am, stands out. He's not the one you have to appease. He's not the one you have to feed. He's not the one you have to sacrifice your firstborn for. He is the God who, when you turn to him, he welcomes you home. He's that God. And so and, and his name is I am. So when I step into him, when I receive him through the person of Jesus Christ, I step into a whole new family. So I get another name. At least this is Foth theology. My name's Richard Foth, but when I step into him, I get I get the I Am name. So now I'm Richard, I am Foth. And one day they'll say, you know, Foth died. Well, not exactly. His body fell off. Foth keeps going in this I am family. That's how that works. And this this sense, I mean he, Clearly, this is not a Western God. You've heard me say this before. If he were a Western God, he would be I do that I do. This, this is the most secure name in the universe. I am that I am. And most of all, point two, your name, his name, is one's reputation. It's reputation. Listen to how we talk about names. That person dishonored the family name. The story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where he goes off and squanders the money and ends up slopping hogs in a foreign land, which is the worst thing for a Jewish kid that could happen. He dishonored the family name. And so they were supposed to kill him because he did that by the, it was an honor culture. His father was supposed to kill him. And instead of doing that, his father, who is, who is the expression of God the Father, welcomes him home and he doesn't kill him. He has a killer party for him. That's what he does, Okay. We talk about that person dragged my name through the mud. What we mean is they said some bad things about us. But we talk about it in terms of our reputation because it is our identity. It's interesting, this identity piece, The studies show that whenever one of us sees our name in print or up on the screen, all kinds of places in our brains light up. Because we recognize it. It's who we are. That's how it works. So how does does something get hallowed? I'm in this I am family. There is a sense in which I am God's reputation on the planet. How I walk my life out is his reputation, if you will. And we'll we'll come to that in a minute. So how does something get hallowed? If I could take you to Washington, D.C., I used to when I lived there, I, I loved having people come to town because I'd take them to walk the monuments at night. And there is one monument where you can go anytime, day or night, and there are people there. And that's the Lincoln Memorial. The Lincoln Memorial for people, especially for internationals, is the monument that expresses freedom, freedom from slavery, freedom hard-fought and hard-bought, if you will. And... Um, If we stood in front of that massive seated statue of Lincoln, on the right you would have his second inaugural address, which some say is the most profound piece ever written in the English language. He wrote it just a few weeks before he was assassinated. On the left is something that I was made to memorize, but it's okay, I was made to memorize it in the eighth grade when we had our constitution test, and it's called the Gettysburg Address. And Abraham Lincoln gave just this few-minute talk that has become legend, if you will, embedded in our American culture. He gave it at Gettysburg on November the 19th, 1863. And this is how it starts. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Says a few more things, and then he says this. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. We hallow things by sacrifice. We hallow things with our lives. Point three is to hallow is to consecrate and revere, to set apart, to treasure, to love. We live in a culture today where reverence for someone or for things is, has dissipated at a high level. To revere something is almost an unknown quantity in our culture today. John Piper, the Baptist preacher says it this way, the ultimate purpose of God in his kingdom, and he's expressing the prayer here, in forgiving us, in delivering us is that our hearts would be fully engaged in esteeming him because he forgives, because he provides, because he delivers, we honor him for who he is and what he does. So we lift up his name. We call attention to him. We honor that. What's fascinating in this prayer is when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he introduces the flip side of commandment number three in the Ten Commandments. The third commandment is is a fascinating one. Exodus 27 reads this way. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is fascinating. He says, don't, and and the, the, the King James English said, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or, you know, so forth. What's fascinating about the third commandment, it's the only one of the 10 that says there will be punishment if you do that. Doesn't say that about adultery, doesn't say that about murder, doesn't say that about coveting. It says that about misusing or um, diluting the reputation of the most high God. You know, literally, the phrase means you shall not lift up the name or the reputation of the Lord for an empty thing. That is, don't do something that gives God a bad reputation on the planet. That's essentially what it says. In the whole earth, we are his reputation. You say, well, that's a heavy deal. Whoa. Well, you don't have to, but you get to. You get to give God that people can't see a good reputation because of someone they do see. That's how that works. You know, there's this passage in John that says, as you forgive, people will understand your father. Because they'll say, how did you learn to do that? You say, well, I learned it from my dad. That's the same kind of thing that his reputation is in our hands. So let's not squander it. Number four, to profane is to empty it. It's dealing with God and speaking of God in a way that empties him of his significance. That somehow it's casual. Or that we treat him like a commodity. Emptying God's name, is, for starters, is attributing something to God that isn't true. If you go back to Genesis in the garden, you know the story of Adam and Eve and all that, and, and they do what they're not supposed to do. They take fruit of the tree, and, and they're hiding. And God goes in the cool of the day and says, where are you? Well, he's God. He knows where they are. They're over there naked behind the tree, you know. It's they who don't know where they are, because they lost their identity. They lost their true north when they disobeyed God. But there's this interesting passage where the servant comes to Eve and says, God didn't mean that he would. And she said, oh yeah, yeah, he did. That if we eat from the tree or if we touch it, we will surely die. God didn't say if we touch it, and he probably didn't say it to her. We know that he talked to Adam, so, It's not the woman here. It's the guy who maybe he beefed it up just a little bit. you know, just added a little something to make it stronger. Put a fence around it. Did something. So in the Garden of Eden, they profaned his name. They attributed something to him that wasn't true. Or or maybe it's adding things to God. Profaning his name is adding something to God. You know, Jesus... Jesus is baby Jesus, meek and mild in the Gospels. Pretty, I mean, he's gentle. He's all these things, but he's a truth teller. He is the truth teller. And there's only one group of people that he really gets ticked at, really ticked at. And it's the Pharisees. It's the lawyers and the priest, priestly class who have added stuff to what God said to do. They added their laws and their ways. And, the, and in, you can read this in Matthew 23. If you want to read it, it's, it's not light reading. It's heavy reading. And he just goes off on them. He says, you are are whited sepulchers. You you are like mausoleum. You're beautiful on the outside and you stink on the inside. You're snakes in the grass. He says, you go around the world to get one convert and you give them more laws and and it makes them more of a child of hell than you are. I'm saying, whoa, where did baby Jesus meek and mild go? Well, he's not messing around with people who mess with his father's reputation. That's the problem. They added stuff to God in such a way that people didn't want to come to him. And here is the God who says, I'm all in all. I will sacrifice my son so that you can have access to me. And if people were blocking that approach to God, that, that stops them in their tracks. I have a theory about why people add stuff to God's systems or laws. Because that's the piece we humans can control. If I can take God, add stuff to him, I can control you at that level, and here's the God who says, I'm in control, get out of the way, let him come straight to me, that's how that works. I was in a small group one time and I said, this question, it's called a Quaker question, and the question is, when did God become more than a word to you? And this lady looked at me and said, when I stop tacking other words on the end of his name, you get what I'm saying there? When you add language to God, when you add laws to Him, when you add your systems to Him, it, it doesn't allow for reverence to occur. In a culture of coarseness where reverence is hard to come by, my language counts. Words count. You know that old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me? That's a lie. I don't know who thought that up, but that's true. It's not true. I mean, it's true, you know? So when I use... When I use vulgarity or gutter language or sexual innuendo, that cheapens me. But when I misuse his name, when I add stuff to his name, that cheapens him. And here is the God who comes along and says, I am that I am. You come to that place, you'll be the most stable person in your whole environment. You, as, as you get to know the I am, you become more secure. You become more, more stable. Think, think about this, by definition, Adding something to God is preposterous. He's everything. How do you add something to him? That's like nutso. I don't know if that word's in the Bible, but I'm just saying, you know. It's impossible. He says, I am. I'm the king of kings, the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ is not an app. Are you with me here? Some of you are looking at me. Boy, you're a little intense today. Why don't you tell us one of those funny stories? Well, you know, you don't tell funny stories about the reputation of the Most High God. But he is not an app, God is not a comma in my sentence, he's the noun, he's the subject. That's how that works. And it doesn't mean that I'm scared of him, it means that I'm honoring him. That's all that means. He he breathes into us the breath of lives, it says in Genesis. But I could guarantee you this, if Jesus Christ in the flesh walked down the center aisle of Timberline Church this morning, I will bet you dollars to donuts, and I'm not a betting man, but I would bet you big time that we wouldn't be cheering, that we'd be on our faces before him in reverence. We wouldn't have words enough because the God who breathes the breath of lives into you, when he shows up, he takes your breath away. Sometimes I look at the sun going down over the Rockies, and I, you know, I'm trying to find words to, do, and it takes your words away. And Ruth will look at it sometimes. She says, "How does he put those colors together? Who would have thought of those colors together?" That's just who this. They're his colors. You know, let, he can do whatever he wants. You know, this is the God who takes our breath away when we're in His presence. And he says, don't profane that name with words or actions. Point five, by our words and deeds, we either hallow or we hollow his name. We have a choice, we can hallow his name or we can hollow his name. That's just how it is. When you think about God and Christ and the cross, these are weighty things like gold the heart of the matter is it's not just about language. Profaning the name of God is not about just about cussing in some way. It's about my whole life honoring him. How can I live my life in a way that does not profane but hallows the most high God? Our Father, the one in heaven, holy be your name. You are my source, your ways, your will, your kingdom, they're number one. You provide my daily needs. You show us the forgiveness we need. You don't take us down evil roads, but you protect us from dominating temptations. Your kingdom, it's about your kingdom, your power, your glory forever. I loved what uh, Pastor Darren said last, last week at the end of his message. He said, I got a couple of takeaways for you. I got a couple of takeaways for you because I really like that. I like Darren, but I, I like his takeaways. So here are two takeaways. They're two verses. The first one is Psalm 1914. And this has to do with language, how we think about God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, I am, Yahweh, and my Redeemer, Jesus, who is the Christ. Let's say it out loud together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. So that's one verse. The second verse is found in Matthew five sixteen in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, "Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You're His reputation on earth, and when he when people see in you something unique and and, and that has integrity and quality, it." They ask you questions about that. So let's say that verse together. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Take those verses with you, if you will. So I'm standing reading the letter in my office on that Monday morning. It says, to whom it may concern, my name is Joshua Goldberg. I came here 20 years ago as a 15-year-old looking for peace. And what I found was peyote, and magic mushrooms and other hallucinogenic drugs. For 10 years, I lived on the Santa Cruz Mall. That's an open area. And I met probably a 100 of your Bethany College students. We would send teams, evangelistic teams, on Friday night down to talk to folks on the mall. There were a lot of, of people who had done acid and all kinds of stuff and fried their brains in the 60s. And they lived under bridges in town. People called them trolls. And they would panhandle in the mall and he said I probably met a hundred of your students but none of them had any power he said about 10 years ago I was on the mall and I met a witch and I'm reading this letter I'm saying whoa because in that part of the country they had covens and all kinds of folks up in the mountains they naked ran around eating nuts and berries and doing all kinds of witchy things and he said I didn't believe her hocus pocus but I went to live with her and and then I saw animal sacrifices and other things too sordid to mention in this letter. My hands are sort of doing this and I'm reading this and he said, and I hadn't met any of her students that had any power until last Thursday morning. And some friends of mine, because we now believed in this power, we were in a Safeway parking lot in an adjacent little town and we were putting hexes on people's cars. And he said, we saw a van with a Bethany sticker on it, parking sticker, and we said, this is gonna be fun. And we went around and started putting magic dust on the cars. And about that time, a blonde guy came out and walked right up to me. And when I turned around and looked in his eyes, I saw a power I did not know. And he just looked at me and said, you came a long time ago looking for peace. Do you still want peace? And he said, I went nuts. I tried to kill him. I tried to choke him. And he just stood there and he just kept saying, do you still want peace? Do you still want peace? And finally, I choked it out and said, yes, I do. And I started to weep. And when I did, my friends all ran away and left me with this guy with the power I didn't know. And he said, if you want peace, just say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Say the name. Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, "I, I finally said it, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I threw up on his van and fell on the ground. And for the first time in my life, I was free, free, free. He went on to say, his name is Jim. I'm going home to my Jewish parents in Minnesota today. I'm flying out to tell them that Jesus Christ sets people free. Would you find Jim, he's a married student, and tell him that I love him and I'll see him in heaven. Your friend, Joshua Goldberg. P.S. And please put this same power in the rest of your students. I called Student Life, said, who is this guy? They said, we don't, I said, find him. They brought him in. He was about 5'10", blonde hair, yellow sweater. And he wasn't like weird. I thought he'd come in going, woo, woo, woo. But he wasn't. He was just like a normal guy. And I started reading this letter and he started to weep. I said, did this happen? He said, yeah. I said, what? what's the deal? He said, I don't know. I don't even remember why I stopped at Safeway. I just went in and I felt like the Lord said to me, I'm going to show you my power. I said, cool. He said, I walked out, and these hippie guys were throwing dirt on my van. <laughs> he said, I just walked up and said, Lord, you got to give me words. And I walked up and said, the first thing that came into my mind, you came a long time ago looking for peace. Do you still want peace? And the guy went nuts. He tried to do, like he said, and he said, the only time, President Fultz, I almost sort of like got in the flesh was when he threw up on my van. That's the only part. <laughs> There is power in that name. There is peace in that name. As we close this morning, we hallow your name, Most High God. You are I am that I am. You are the ancient of days. You are the bright and morning star. You are the creator, the mighty God, the counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. You are Jesus who is the Christ. You are captain of the Lord of hosts. You are the king. You are the father. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the beginning and the end. And we honor your name. You breathed into us the breath of lives. But in your presence, we got to tell you, you take our breath away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment together. In the quiet of this moment, as you have your heads bowed and no one looking around, I just, perhaps some of us here who've been Jesus followers for a long time, we stepped into him a long time ago, so we were part of the I Am family, but over time we may have found ourselves getting casual about his name or his reputation. And you say, I wanna take him seriously. I want his name and his reputation to be weighty in me because I get to be his reputation. There may be some here this morning for whom this is totally new. And you say, I don't know anything but what I heard this morning. But if what you're saying is true, Dick Foth, I wanna know that God. I wanna know the I am that sets people free. I want to know the I am that gives people peace. And you'll just pray in your heart this prayer with me. I'm just going to pray out loud, but you pray in your heart. Father God, we come to you now. You know me like the back of your hand. You know my history. I understand you forgive me for all the junk. And you give me your joy and peace. And you know I need that. This day I want to start a journey with you. I want your life. I want your stability, your security in my life. I give what I know of me to what I know of you starting now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.